Hi, welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me, where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. And quickly before we start today, I just wanted to ask you a favor. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. Thank you so much. And if you rate and review, it would really help us with the algorithm so people can easily search the show if they would like. So I would really love to hear your feedback and what you have to say uh, so I can bring you the content that's most fit for you. Thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to another episode, brand new episode of Traumatic Transformations. Today we have with us uh, Kawan Glor, who is a survivor because he's lived through a stroke and three brain surgeries. He also dealt with suicidal ideations, one attempt, opioid addiction, depression, and has been in 1.2 million in medical debt. Despite these hardships, he has started his own company, Overcome Adversity, uh, which leverages his ordeal to help others, as the name says, overcome their adversity, no matter shape or form. He also is a writer, public speaker, and a self-published author of a memoir entitled Favor, How the Stroke Struggle and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. Wow, I am so excited to have you on the show, Kawan, and I can't wait to dive into what you're all about. So thank you for being here. It's an honor to be here to be able to discuss with you and your audience. Hopefully they get are able to grab some gems and go on to make uh, victory Absolutely. become a part of their lives. Oh, thank you so much for being here. So kind of tell us a little bit about you. I, you, Your story and narrative sounds amazing. So I can't wait to dive into it. Um, tell me a little bit about what all the traumatic part of your life looked like. And uh, we'll later address what that led you into who you are today. Yeah, so uh, I had a pretty normal childhood. I had a two-parent household. I went to school. I ran track, played football. And... Um, a box when it came to college. And then when I was about 20, uh, things turned upside down. So mm-hmm. I was uh, in my mentor's office, we were working in finances, and I was having trouble talking, having trouble writing. And his, his wife actually came downstairs and sent me to the doctor. They sent me to the hospital. 
that hospital did a CAT scan they sent me to um another hospital george washington hospital in washington dc they did an mri and they said uh you have something they call it a cavernous malformation now under both those scans they told me something was there and at 20 i was just like i don't know what that means so if you could just fix it so i can go home that'd right. be great um <laughs> so they said no we're gonna monitor so i went home and then you know it got worse i started losing my vision getting double vision went back to the hospital had my first brain surgery on august 15th 2014. went back to school a week later and then a month after returning to school i had a stroke so that's the first chunk of it all oh wow what was and like you said you know uh, i'm so glad that you mentioned this um that caught my attention kind of that everything was great up until 20s aren't 20s almost a decade where things start to fall apart for most people yeah and i you know when you're approaching 20 or you're in your 20s you don't see it that way it's like this is the best time of my life i'm an adult i can do what i want um but life you know often has another way of telling you you don't really have it all together yet so exactly. you need to humble you um put you in a place where you start to understand what the fabric of life is really all made up and that's definitely what happened to me Absolutely. You say that's with a smile and you know I I am here smiling as well since this is an audio podcast we can people can't see us but you know I I I really shared that with you very deeply because you know I I felt the same way in my 20s parts of those 20s were hurrah great absolutely fun but then some parts were not so great so um tell us about the what happens after the stroke then. Yeah, so I had an experience at the end of my stay in rehab in DC. We have something called an outing. Mm. Uh, and then when we go out with the people that was a part of my group and we uh we went to Washington DC to the monuments to a gift shop and one of the task force signs to handle money. And there was a guy that was with me in the front of the line. There was a person behind him and there was me. And when he was having the guy at the front of the line was having trouble with the transaction the person behind him was like oh just you know growling at a frustration and that's the first moment when i was like wow is that the way i view other people that are not able bodied is that the way i view people that are somehow inconveniencing me and that's mm-hmm. when my mindset began to shift i'm um, not totally because mm-hmm. that didn't really happen until like this year right but it was the first time when i started expressing real empathy and understanding you know what it's like to be in someone else's shoes um that so that was the first kind of change in my perspective and then i went back to school and that summer i fell into a depression because again i've been an athlete all my life you know i ran track box plate football and wow. then my body wasn't responding the way i was used to responding mm. so it was you know when you make when a tornado is made when you have a hot front and a cold front crashing to each other. So my reality was crashing with my expectations, creating a what perception of my self-image in that summer I fell into that, that massive depression. And that's just not understanding that this is, you know, my reality and not trying to accept where I had come. But um I have an, another unique experience in that I slept on my couch the whole summer. I was watching the show. It was one day, I was kind of laying on my couch and my door happened to be unlocked and somebody just wandered in and mm-hmm. I was like, so that's how it ends. This is this then my story. Great. This is awesome. 
And then uh, it was actually somebody I knew very intimately. And he kind of stumbled over and gave me a hug and was like, everything's going to be okay. And he uh-huh. just got up and left. Okay. And I was just, I was just like, what just happened? <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, you know, a week or so later, I got an internship and things started to turn up. But life is funny that way. And I went to my doctor, Dr. Johnson Sherman at GW. He had been re- reviewing my brain scans. And he always said, oh, that's something there. I can't tell what it is. It's something there. I can't tell what it is. But this time he came into my room with the results. And his body language was different. He put his head down. He was like, yeah, I'm not sure to tell you this, but the mass is growing back and it's growing bigger and faster. Mm. And, um, you know, my mom broke down instantly. And my dad was kind of looking around. And I was just like, sign me up for the next surgery. And then he looked at me and he was, you don't want to think about it? I was like, no, just sign me up. So that's mm. kind of the second chunk. And then, you know, later we'll get to what happened next. Mm, wow. You know, you mentioned some very important things there while you were talking. Um, wow. I'm just left speechless. But something you said earlier about empathy, you know, I think we tend to not have. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the word empathy, because, you know, when we grow up, I, I don't think that's something that we discuss openly in the society. I don't think that's something we discuss or educate our kids on. You know, I think we just um, learn that with time as life happens to us, you know, unfortunately. And something that you said was really amazing. And I say this all the time to people is that empathy is, just, you know, just understanding or trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and what a difference that can make. Because as you now look back and teach some of these things and what you said about the whole tornado experience too, you know, that the cold front and the hot front, you know, coming together, which is what leads to the tornado. And um, what was the next thing you said in terms of your reality, not meshing with your expectations? Yeah, just not being able to accept that kind of what my perception of my self-image. Yeah. And that's so important because it's like, if we were only to empathize with people that are not like us or not, you know, going through the same thing as us. And sometimes, yeah, I understand it's hard hard to put yourself in other people's shoes all the time and be that way. But I think really, when you try to live that life, what do you think that having that kind of mindset has done for you overall? Yeah. Uh, Empathy is something the world is lacking right now. And this digital space Mm. allows us to be more separate, especially social media. Um, You don't have to see the person's face or see their reaction or see how what you're saying or what you're doing affects them directly. Right. So, you know, me diving into it, it's kind of like, you know, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Thank you for mentioning that. Yep. Sympathy for me it's like you're walking and you see somebody has dirty shoes. Oh man, your shoes are messed up. You should probably clean them. Right. But empathy is like, I want to try on your shoes so I can understand what it's like to have dirty shoes and why I feel the need to clean them. That's, you know, feeling with versus feeling for. I, I think that allows you to look past a person's heart outer shell to see, hey, Maybe that person is going through something. Maybe they lost a friend. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're in the midst of some really emotional, mental turmoil. And you you, you don't have to judge them based on 
what they're presenting to you because that's not actually who you're looking at there. People are mirrors. They reflect back at you what you give to them. So I think empathy to me is a muscle. And the more you flex it, the more you are able to see the other side or another person's point of view, no matter how egregious or differential their view may be to yours. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning that. Because I think as we try to alleviate the stigma associated to mental health, I think it's a hard, very long road ahead unless we understand what that concept means. And I think as a society, we have a very hard time empathizing with other people um, because of our own issues, because of things that, you know, we don't look into ourselves. And because, you know, it it takes so much work, apparently, to just put yourself in someone else's shoes and then just say, oh, and then to just sympathize with us and be like, oh, sorry, you feel this way, or I feel pity for you for going through that way subconsciously, even though overtly we don't state that. But I really think that sometimes empathy and having compassion for it, and and through my practice and through my work, I, I don't think we can ever understand what the other person is going through because we are not going through the depth of what they're going through. Going through. But I really think that we can hard to we can work hard to put ourselves in that person's shoes and sort of try to look at the world from their world worldview. So um, so glad that you mentioned that because we, this world would be so much kinder and a better place and more understanding of people's struggles, adversities, and traumas if we were just able to just step back and say, what might they be going through? Yeah, and I, you know, I flex my empathy muscle so much now that even when I'm watching TV shows, I have to be careful because I'm like, every character, I'm like, I can feel exactly what you're going through. So, you know, it's sometimes overpowering, but I think I'd rather have more of it than not any of it. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it creates a lot of dissension, a lot of debate, a lot of judge, prejudice, a lot of uh, division between people when you have less of it. And I think we need to reinsert or inject the world with some empathy. So that's what I'm here to do. I am absolutely with you on that mission. So thank you so much for doing that and mentioning that, you know, because I think we could be much, so much better, so much more kinder, so much more sweeter to other people. If we just sort of allowed room or space for their issues, what they might be going through, and we don't have to necessarily connect and take care of, start taking care of people, but just knowing and holding space for the fact that, you know what, they might be going through something and not you know, um, disregarding what they, their issues might be. There also comes a, a concept of boundaries that I'm really big into, but I'll discuss that later. But um, what you were saying earlier. So when you said, um, you know, so tell me then later as a part of, you know, your second surgery, what was the outcome? So uh, in between my diagnosis, my, you know, when they said we we're going to have it, uh, you know, I, just kind of been, I got tired. I was just like, you know what? If I don't wake up from the surgery, I'm going to be fine. And, you know, that's the kind of mentality I went to the surgery with. And then um, when I had the surgery, you know, I had the same thoughts. And then when I went under, I kind of woke up in like a dream state. And it was Mm -hmm. like a white room and I was wearing a jean jacket and a hoodie. And I, I tell this story the same way every time because I remember it so vividly. I was like throwing punches and I was like, wow, everything works. My, my everything is back Aww. to normal. <laughs> and, um, and then it started to rain. 
Mm. And the rain was like, it's black. It's like this computer. And I, it wasn't touching my hand. Mm. So uh, I was just like, okay. And then I started to float up. And then I started to lose my human visage. And as I got higher to like the top of the screen, you know, I was floating up. And then there was like a hand up here. And they like stopped me and like pushed everything in reverse. And right before I woke up, I just heard something say, you're not done yet. And then I woke mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. I was like, damn, I'm back here and I have to struggle and fight again. Well, that was my, I guess, my first and maybe only experience with a higher power, supernatural, whatever they believe in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, right after I came out, I'm right back into the fight. So I had gotten a spinal tap. Mm. And right, I guess during the surgery, and the, your brain floats in gray matter, and mm. it was draining that fluid. So my brain was knocking around in my skull. Mm. So on a, it was very painful, and I had to keep it in for five days. And on a scale from one to ten, that pain was about a thirty-seven. Oh. And they gave me fentanyl. Then they gave you know that started crushing my chest, so they gave me Percocet. Mm-hmm. And then said, and then I went back to home to recover. And I had a little case of withdrawal from the fear set. And I got hooked back on Percocet when I went back, back to mm-hmm. school in that 2016 semester. And, um, you know, I wanted to give up my life again. And, you know, I, I kicked all the, the drugs, cold turkey, mm-hmm. you know, and then I got a girlfriend and she started to encourage me to get mental health services, go, you know, find, find out what's really going on. And things started to look up. So that was wow. another big chunk of the story. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not, you know, you went through ups and downs and I, I think that's what life is about going through those valleys and mountains and learning through those experiences. So when you went through that second round of, you know, the, like you mentioned earlier, the opioid addiction, which I'm guessing to the painkillers um, because of your second surgery, which seemed quite intense uh, from what you're saying. Um, what was that? What, what did, what was your takeaway from that? The painkillers were not a physical addiction. Mm. It was a mental and emotional. It was escapism. Yeah. It was separate myself from the reality from other people. Um, but I recently, you know, come across a quote that kind of explains it succinctly. Something Dumbledore said in like Harry Potter number four. Mm-hmm. I could have numbed the pain or taken away from you or something like that. But when you do that, it makes the pain that much more intense when it comes back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned that you just have to kind of face those challenges head on. You can't run from them. You didn't defeat them. They don't go away. Therefore, nope. those problems are form of matter and they can be neither created nor destroyed. So unless you face them and conquer them and understand what they the lesson you need to learn from and accept them for being part of you you're never going to get rid of it. And I had to learn that the hard way, but I did learn. Don't all of us learn that the hard way, because that is the, you know, I, and more, and that's one of the, I think, main reasons why I wanted to, um, you know, sort of start this podcast and educate people on. It's like, I think we live in a world where we just have, are under this delusion that if we over time just don't face our issues, they will eventually just go away. 
um, you know, and unfortunately, I mean, yes, there is some cons, but you know, there is a concept of resilience where they do tend to go in, we work certain, certain things out, but there are certain things that just don't cease to follow us unless we face it, like you said, work through it, process it with however we process it. Some people go to therapy, some people, you know, turn to God or higher power, some people turn to, you know, different other healing methods and approaches, but whatever it might be for you, I think it has to be something because one thing that I have definitely learned in life is that our problems never just leave us. They only compound with time unless we process them, work through them and, you know, um, heal through them because, and the healing and the other side of the trauma, which is the healing and the recovering part is just so beautiful because then you connect back to your, you know, child raw self, um, but with only more wisdom and more excitement towards life. Exactly. I think, um, Every lesson that you learn, you know, often comes out or the most of the lesson comes out of those traumas, those failures, those perceived losses. So I think, you know, for me, this whole ordeal uh, is the best gift I've ever been given because the things I've learned, the things I've become accustomed to, the, the resilience, the level of gratitude I've been able to achieve because of everything that's happened to me. Uh, I don't often say I'm humble, but the, I'm able to embrace humility. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't have to write this book without it. So, I so think tell us it, about the book. I think this is a perfect time to dive into it because I, it looks so uh, positive, exciting, and just the mindset um, that you possess as a result of your struggles. I absolutely enjoy that. And please share some of that wisdom with my viewers or listeners. So when I started the book, it was about, July 13th at 6.54 a.m. 2018. Wow. And I picked it up and I put it down and I picked it up and I put it down. And I just wasn't in a place mentally and emotionally where I was able to relive. Mm. I was ready to relive all the traumas. But mm. once I got through it, my first draft, it was more like a catharsis. Mm. And when I first wrote it, it was an autobiography. So it was everything from year one to year 25 at the time. And when I gave it to my editor, she was like, you're not Barack Obama. So like, <laughs> no one really cares about your childhood at this point. And I rewrote it. And uh -huh. I know it's been gifted in writing because I got an honest from my family. And I started thinking, how can I make this not only a good story, a truthful story, but something people want to read. Mm. And I thought about the great movies that I watch or some of the YouTube videos I watch, and then I rewrote it. And then it is here now. And it took Yay. me about two years, I guess. Wow. And tell um, us the, the gist of the book. Like, what are some of the lessons that you want us to take away from them? I would definitely, absolutely, I'm going to order myself a copy and I'm going to have my readers or, you know, listeners order a copy as well, because it just sounds so inspiring and some of the things that you've been through and now where you are and where your lessons have, you know, um, brought you to a place in terms of how you just look at life and the mindset and the gratefulness and just the humbleness that you have towards things. Um, so, so sort of give us a, uh, update on your book and what do you want us to take away from it? Um, because of the timing of its release, I think it's really, you know, keen in that, you know, it's three words. There's always hope, you know, in this yes. book, I tell about the dark times, 
the parts where I felt alone and unwanted and unworthy and guilty about a lot of things. Uh, I tell in depth, you know, what happened in between the surgery, what I went through inside and outside. Um, but, you know, something I always say is the darkest night always comes for the brightest morning. And mm. my morning came with yours well, too. And that is the thing in the book. There's always hope. My job now is to bridge the gap between the darkness and the light at the end of the tunnel to bring back a little bit of hope and inspire change in people who read my book and share my story and things like that. So this book just gives you a really de- in-depth look on how I went through everything I went through. Uh, we'll talk for a while, but I'm sure if you read the book, you'll get a lot more detail. Of understand the specifics of what really happened. And, you know, I'm working on my second book. I just started two days ago. Yay! So, That's exciting. Um, it's this one. The first one, this book here is more like my origin story. Mm. This next book is going to be something like the lessons I learned along the way. So I'm excited. And I think this first book really gives you and I, you know, from the feedback I get, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but people have enjoyed actually just reading the book as a story. Yeah. So I think that's an added bonus. Oh, awesome. Wow. Uh, no, I, and I really think that it's interesting when when you get an idea and a context about who the person is, what their life is, uh, and then, you know, them overcoming their struggles. Uh, it kind of th- puts things in perspective because sometimes, you know, when we look at our lives and we reflect on our lives, we tend to think we our struggles are like the only struggles that exist and everybody else's outside of ours is nothing compared to what we go through. And, you know, unfortunately, in the trauma world and being you know in this world for a long time one of the, one of the ways that i like to look at it and it's like every individual's life and narrative is their own journey trauma is not a competition that we compare our sufferings and who wins and you know whose is the hardest um things that they went through i think um healing on the other hand takes a lot of work it's not an easy process but once you get through, you know, acknowledging and addressing some of the things that you have been through and worked through some of those very deep, dark emotions and days. I think the other side is very beautiful and it takes time to get there. And it's a process. It's not like, oh, it's a destination. You just get there. All of a sudden you process your trauma. You're here. I think it's just a lifelong learning. And that's one of the things that I want out of this podcast is for people to understand that, you know, Everybody, as far as I'm concerned, goes through trauma, some kind of trauma in their lives, you know, based on what is trauma. At the end of the day, it's something that was distressing to us. It lies in the eye of the beholder. So your story and the context that you give us with your stories can absolutely be an inspiration into who you are today and what we can look forward to, regardless of what we have been through. Yeah. And I also want to address the other end of the spectrum. There, there are people that are probably listening. It's like, oh, I've never been through anything like that. Or I don't have any trauma to relate to that. And again, like she said, your trauma is your trauma. You are yeah. built specifically for the fight. You have to fight. And there's no need to compare your story to mine. There's no need to try one up my story. I mean, sure, right. if you want to, that flows your boat. But it has no effect on me because that's not my life. Right. And right. my life is not yours. So, you know, understand that you're not worth less or you're not worth more depending on your circumstances or your story. Uh, My job is just to, you know, my passion, my purpose on this planet is just to get people to see that 
you know, people do go through dark times. They find themselves in ruts. But I think the most important person of that story that people don't often address that the person staring back at them in the mirror it's oftentimes not those external uncontrollable factors. It's the, the the person that you're looking back at in the mirror that's creating the blocks or creating the the the, the, the roadblocks that uh, stop you from becoming the person you're supposed to be. Absolutely. So tell me how then, what did you learn? What was your experience uh, about some of the blocks that you went through and what were some of the stuff that you worked through? Um, just so we have an idea because most people go through it. We just don't talk about it. Um, well, definitely the physical burning, first mm-hmm. of all, because again, I've been an athlete, so just not able to do what I used to be able to do with ease, having to accept the fact that that's where I'm going to be until I recover fully, mm-hmm. you know, that was heavy. And mm-hmm. then um, repression, you know, as a black man, young man, you know, your emotions and feelings, you don't talk about them, they just there the same thing of, in the Indian culture. We don't talk yeah. about feelings, especially yeah. man. The man can't have feelings. What do you mean? You have you're weak if you have feelings. Yeah. So you know, just kind of pressing that down. But at some point, when you shake up a, a closed soda can, it has no choice but to burst out. That pressure has to go somewhere. And um just accepting that it's okay not to be okay. Mm. Um, Thank you for you saying know, that. It's not your fault that things that happen, mm. but it is your responsibility to make a decision. If you're going to accept healing and make a change, I think I had to understand that I could not live in victimhood. I could not live in war as me, even though the darkness, the misery, it embraces you and it feels so warm and comforting. Like I never want to leave, but it's killing you and you, you don't even notice it. So I had to make it. I call that being at the bottom of the beat. Mm. And, you know, when you talked about valleys, you know, that kind of related directly because a valley is just a big V. Yeah, exactly. At the bottom, you have to make that decision. And it's nobody can make the decision for you but you. Yeah. And the V for me stands for victory. So mm-hmm. that V up there was an accident. He just designed just put it up there. And my wow. logo just looks like a kind of funny V. Yeah. And um, when I you know, started really getting into it. My a coach was like, well, you can't go to yourself in a varsity coach. Like you have to call yourself something else. And I was like, oh, victory coach. And then it wasn't until it. Like last month I started realizing, oh, that's a V. Oh, that's a V. Oh, that's a valley. And the lowest points, we just are climbing out of the other side of our mountain. So, you know, my, I really want people to get, see victory out of their victimhood. And yes. Thank you so much. And I think that's the part that, you know, I, I, I truly believe that happiness is not a choice because some people, you know, when they go through depression, when they go through anxiety, and when they go through some really dark times, they want to be happy, but they can't be because of just some of the things that goes on in our brain and our body as a result of some of the stuff that we experience, you know, and the things that happen with us. Um, But I truly believe that suffering is a choice that we can absolutely at some point, and it just depends on what the threshold for a person is because different persons suffering threshold is at a certain point, because after that point, like you said, if you shake a closed soda coin, at some point it bursts, it ends up bursting. So if we don't tackle or handle suffering or understand or know suffering and where it's coming from and what we do with that suffering, 
um, then we can be we can feel really lost and you know um, overwhelmed and stuck. So I, I I think suffering is a choice because we can do something and not suffer and turn it around and get on the other side. You know, it takes time. Every person's journey and timeline is different, but. Once you get there, I think um, that's the part that matters where you start switching things around. Yeah. And, you know, some people have to endure a little bit of suffering to want to make that change. Some people are, are, are you know, of sound mind and they understand, oh, this is not a good position. And they can start to make their change earlier than others. But for myself, I had to wallow in that, that self worthlessness, that guilt, that unwanted feeling in order to say, okay, this is enough. Like I need to climb back up the hill and get to the other side of and I get to the top of the mountain again. But, uh, you know, suffering, I do believe suffering is a choice because, and a lot of people make that choice unknowingly. Yes. When they embrace their, their, their victim mentality, they start building houses in that neighborhood filled with victims. And that's why I call it victimhood. They start mm-hmm. to build their their houses. They start to shape their life around their lives around being a victim. And you know, the, again, the dark embrace is very warm and inviting, but it's it's poisonous, and you don't even know what's happening. So, you know, that's why I preach victory so much. It, but with victory, you have to know there's going to be a fight, and some people do not want to go through another battle to get to a, a better place and. Um, the best things in life are often on the other side of that battle. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that you also said earlier that I sort of forgot about that, you know, in terms of suffering is that it was something that you mentioned earlier uh, along the lines of it's a gift. You know, I think a lot of times we are raised in the culture or mindset as a culture is that, you know, suffering is not a good thing. But I think it depends on how we look at it and our mindset around it. If you've healed from certain things, if you've learned, if you've evolved and if you've become wiser, one of the things that you learn from life and from trauma and as a part of your healing journey is that I wouldn't be who I am. And I've heard you say that about yourself. If I if it wasn't for my suffering, I am so thankful for all the dark times and all the things that I finally have come to a place where I'm able to put them down, make peace with it and continue to learn. It's not that I don't suffer anymore, but I know that this this is going to be temporary and that going forward, this is meant to teach me something. And however long it might last, it can be for days, it can be for months, it can be for years, the sadness or the pain lasts, but it doesn't last forever. You don't see someone being, you know, in pain forever in their lives. And sometimes if they are, then there can be something that can be done about it. It's just that you have to make a choice to want to turn that around. Yeah. And like a close friend of mine said, everything is debatable. And that to me means it's all about your perspective. So when you're in that suffering or you've unknowingly chosen that suffering, once your perspective changes, that's yeah. when you can start to make a, a choice to really get out of that suffering. Um, but again, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk says adversity is the foundation of success. Yeah. And I believe that without my pain, without my struggle, without my trauma, my turmoil, there would be no me sitting here in front of you having this conversation. Absolutely. I wouldn't have anything to talk about. 
Same here. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, for those listening, you may be in a dark place. You're going through something. Mm. But there's a silver line. There's light in the tunnel. There is sun coming over the horizon. Um, just keep walking the path, not looking forward to the destination. Just keep doing get 1% one day better. One yep. day at a time. 1% better each day. Keep an optimistic, not positive mindset. Uh, I think positivity is too close to delusion. Yes. Optimism is more based in reality and a hope that things are going to be better. And I think you'll be well on your way. Thank you so much. That is so important because like very well said, um, you know, there's a whole concept of positive optimism, PQ. And, you know, it's like when you shift your identity, because it's like if we live a state kind of living, like happiness is a state. If we achieve what we want, I recently read in a book called The Buddha and the Badass. And I really liked that approach to thinking and mindset change where if you, you know, if if your happiness comes from outside or is dependent from external factors such as, oh, this makes me happy then you attain that that makes you happy if you lose that then that makes you unhappy but if you shift your identity and look at things as in okay how can i be more positively optimistic and be optimistic about things as opposed to oh you know um i'm just always going to be gloom and doom there's nothing left for me and what can i do about life you know there's a fine balance between toxic positivity and that whole concept but um you know yeah like you said sometimes positive can be very positive and it can be very toxic and we don't realize it being toxic because it's positivity sometimes too much positivity is not good too but optimism i agree that you if your identity is to be more problem solving and wanting to, you know, having think the hope of there is light at the end of the tunnel because there always is. You just have to find your light. You have to find your people. You have to surround yourself with people, places, and things that lead you to that place or to that space. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this might be a little odd topic, but like when you talk about too much positivity, the world, life, the universe is about balance. Yes. And when you have too much light, too much sunshine, too much of a good thing, you're not going to value it as much. And you're not going to grow from it. When do we always grow? We grow from our struggles. We don't grow when we are happy and doing great. Then we enjoy that phase and we stay complacent with that. And I think, you know, when you think about it, we like the sunshine so much because we remember what it felt like in the darkness. We like the the, the warm breeze because we remember when it felt like when it's blistering cold. Mm. We like the stars at night because we remember not seeing them during the day. I think the adverse of everything is what makes the world go round. And when you have no struggle, no turmoil, no trauma, you don't have anything to stand on. When something bad eventually happens, your legs are cut from under you. So I think... Having that balance, having that balanced perspective uh, allows you to see the world more holistically for what it is now, what you want it to be. Thank you. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Um, Absolutely. Because I feel like when we have too much of one thing, that's an addiction, whether it's good or bad. And then we become dependent on that. And once we depend on something for it to last forever, unfortunately, that doesn't exist. You know, one of my favorite quotes is change is the only constant we have. And, you know, it's like if we know and expect that after good, there is bad. After valley, there is mountain. After suffering, there is happiness. After happiness, there is, again, adversity for us to grow and become better people 
Yeah. And I, I think all those changes, if you, you've made that decision, happen at different points up the mountain. So like at the bottom, you know, you make that decision and then you go up and there's another valley and you go up and there's another valley and it's increasing that way. But understand life doesn't just plateau. Exactly. Like there are circles and valleys and hills and things you're going to have to face. But as long as you're moving forward and, mm-hmm. and being most authentic to who you are and who you want to become, you, you'll do have different problems at different levels and different stages of your life. And you'll become more adept at adapting to those changes, to those difficult circumstances. And I think that's the beauty of life, the ability to adapt, change, to be to undergo metamorphosis, to achieve a higher self. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Uh, I love that. And I think that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, if we can just, like you said, be a better version of ourselves, then why not? Instead of comparing ourselves to other people, why not put the focus back and spotlight back on us to know, okay, if even if I'm, I was reading this book uh, by Dan Harris and it was about 10% happier. And he talks about every day, if you, he talks about it in the sense of happiness, but the way I have, uh, or, you know, learned life and thought about it. Oh, I just got that book. It's actually a really good book. Yeah. You'll like it. Um, and he talks about happiness. But to me, it's about if you are only 10% better than you were last month or yesterday, what can you do to change you? Because that's the only thing we can control. We can't control other people. We can't control, you know, things, surrounding situations, but we can control our reactions to them. So I think if we can become better versions of ourselves, we can pass our adversity and learn with grace and become more graceful as opposed to dwelling in the comparisons of the other. And as we break these doors down, you know, we, it's our obligation to teach these lessons to those that come behind us so they can just come more easily through the door. Um, Side note, I just realized that as we were talking, I was like saying stuff, but these are actually names of different chapters in my next book. So <laughs> when the next book comes out, we go back and listen yes, to this. You definitely have of... to come back. I would love to talk. I feel like I could keep talking to you forever. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you definitely have to hit me up and come back and talk to us some more about this. But um, as we wrap up today, can you tell us where people can find you and what's the best? I'll put all of that in my show notes as well, but just so that people can uh, have a listen. Yeah. So um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads. I'm on <laughs> LinkedIn. Uh, you can just type in my name, Kawan Glover, G-K-A-W-A-N-G-L-O-V-E-R. If you want to email me directly, overcomeadversitytoday at gmail.com. Again, that's overcomeadversitytoday at gmail.com. And my book, Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Help Me Find My Life's Purpose, is available on Amazon and paperback and ebook format. Um, yeah, just put my name in Google. I'm sure I'll pop up somewhere. I'm sure. So I'll just uh, spell your name for my audience again. It's Kavan, K-A-W-A-N, Glover, G-L-O-V-E-R. And his book is called Favor. And I can't wait for people to listen and be inspired and have hope towards their journeys and their traumas and their struggles. Uh, you were such a breath of fresh air. And I really am so honored to have you here. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for allowing me the, the space to share my story, yes, my, my wisdom absolutely. on your platform. 
Oh, not a problem at all. We'll have you back for with your second book. So do let us know when you release that and can't wait to learn from you and catch you all next time. Until next time, um, have a wonderful and blessed day. 